Hello everybody, this is Paul Miller, and you're listening to the Tuna Town Talks podcast, located in Venice, Louisiana, the fishing capital of the world. Alright guys, welcome to another episode of Tuna Town Talks. This is Captain Paul Miller here, and I'm here today with a very special guest of mine. This is uh, Craig Baller. He's been a, a, a great um, client of mine for many years now, and uh yeah, we wanted to have him on the show to talk about a lot of things, but we'll get into that. But say hey to everybody, Craig. Hello, everybody. <laughs> cool. So, uh, man, let's go ahead and dive right into, like, uh, you know, you, you just fished with me three days last weekend, three days this weekend, and uh, I guess we'll start with today, man. <laughs> that was a real bummer, man. So. Th- I don't, it's it's so much deeper. I don't really even know where to start with this. So why why don't you why don't you go ahead and start with it and kind of tell everybody the purpose for these uh, six days? He did three days last weekend and then three days. Um, I guess it's it's Sunday through Tuesday, so not really weekend, but yeah. Yeah. So this is actually a, a great segue into the the reason that I was interested in being involved in in, in Paul's podcast. As Paul said, I, I fished with him a number of times. And I've been fortunate enough to fish all over the world with, with many, many guides at, at many, many locations. And this last, uh, last week is a great example of, of how the perspective of, of the client is, uh, what, what the perspective is, is of the client going into a, a situation of coming fishing in a place like Venice, Louisiana, the fishing capital of the world. Pull your mic up just a little bit. There you go. Where where a lot of people think that it's basically fishing in a barrel. And (laughs) fortunately, the the multiple trips I've taken down here, um, they've been more catching than fishing. And (laughs) for the most part, every trip that I've taken with Paul, uh, we've just caught and caught and caught. Almost everything we've targeted, we've, we've caught. We've had some difficult days in the past, but... Today and this weekend was a very, very humbling experience. <laughs> going, going back to Sunday, yeah. uh, everything was blowing out. The water was bad. The ground swell was horrible. Yeah, but guys, th- just to touch on, so this past Sunday, um, very, very difficult fishing conditions. And, yeah, we didn't catch much of anything, honestly. <laughs> that, that's, I, that's, I, I went back to the dock with my tail tucked between my legs. and <laughs> yeah, it, was, it, it was a very humbling experience for, for any fishing guide uh, to, to come back after a, a, a rough day on the water. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things that uh, uh, makes fishing with guys like, like Paul here a, a special experience because even if the fish aren't biting – he really goes out of his way to make an effort to to put the customer first, and there are a lot of a lot of guides out there that that don't put that effort into it. Yeah. And so when you do find one that that like yourself that that really puts it out there, that it's much appreciated to to clients. Yeah. It's definitely about finding the right match for the the client and the guide. They both got to match. It's just like any other relationship <laughs> that you're, that you're in for sure. Definitely. I mean, last weekend uh, he mentioned I was here the weekend. A week ago and this weekend. Why don't Why don't you go ahead and dive in and tell them like the purpose behind these these two particular trips? I think it's a good a good time to t- talk about that. Yep. So last weekend, uh, the trip was bringing my my 83 year old father out from Oregon, who is not in in great health, and he really wanted to spend a a, a fishing trip with me, uh, and spend some time together before he got even more sick. And to add to that. Uh, recently I was diagnosed with a, a form of, uh, 
of cancer, uh, multiple myeloma, that I am going to be starting uh, chemotherapy treatments in the next uh, next few days, which is basically going to put me in a situation that these are probably my last two weekends of this style of fishing potentially ever. So potentially, but we're we're going to get you better. We're going to get you back down here in September. Yep, yep. That's <laughs> that is that is the goal. That's the goal. Right? But, but this it was important to come down here and bring my dad down here and yeah. fish with him. Of and course, you don't never know what's going to happen. And it, like, I thought it was a true honor for you to bring your dad. And, and you, I mean, from what you've told me about your dad and you, this might be the last time that you guys fish together as, you know, father, son. I mean, and exactly. to be a, to, I was truly honored to know that you could have went fishing. I mean, you can go fishing wherever you want to. And you, you pick Venice, you pick me. It's truly honorable, man. I really, really, really appreciate that. And it seemed like your dad had a fun time. He, 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 did. he toughed it out for three days. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. Yeah, <laughs> it was smoking hot. It was, uh, I mean, it was a melter. Uh, yeah. He's from Oregon. He's not used to the heat. So day one, he shows up wearing a plaid flannel shirt and jeans and, jeans and boots. <laughs> and the poor guy just melted. And he's one of these older guys that is tough as nails. And every time we turn around and say, if you had enough, you want to go back yet? And he would look and say, oh, I'm not cutting the trip short. Yeah. If you guys can't handle it, you guys go ahead and go back. But don't blame we it on me. We weren't going to go back on his dime. I, I can assure you of that. Nope. It wasn't <laughs> It wasn't going to be because of him. <laughs> but, but he caught fish. We had uh, – my yeah, we did. We caught a lot of fish last week. Yeah, we had my we had my nephew, um, uh, his grandson, and it was fantastic. He got to catch an amberjack. He caught a bunch of big bull reds. We got a ton of snapper. We caught all kinds of things. Every day we caught fish. Yeah, it was like the first day we did a lot really well on the reds, and the next day we did we did uh, we tried on the reds. It was wasn't really working, and then we went uh, got on the snapper mangrove snappers. Which if you guys have never been down to Venice, our mangrove snapper fishery is freaking awesome, phenomenal. And uh, Craig caught you last year with me. He caught a thirteen pounder. That was one of the. Biggest ones I've I've caught actually, and Craig caught. That was really cool too. Yeah, I, I put that, that on Facebook. It's got like sixteen hundred views now. <laughs> people say that's the biggest snapper, biggest mangrove I've ever seen. That was a big mangrove, man. It was. Yeah, and then uh, turn around this week, and you brought um, Rob and um, and Jesse, your neighbor. Yep, Jesse, my neighbor and fishing buddy from up in Minnesota, and Rob, a uh, uh, friend of mine since we were probably nine or ten years old. I mean, we've known each other basically our whole lives. And uh, Rob hasn't had a chance to travel across the, the country much, let alone the world. And, and Jesse has got a, a young family and hasn't had the opportunity to travel all over like I have. And Jesse and I do a lot of fishing in Minnesota together. So we do perch and walleye and, and some of this stuff. But he's never had a chance to come down here. He's seen all these pictures of these fish. I'm a picture <laughs> nut. I take pictures yeah, of every fish I catch. Yeah. And so he's seen all these. I've been telling him how phenomenal the fishing is and how last weekend was incredible and then he comes down this weekend and then we have the sunday where the fish aren't <laughs> biting we have monday where we go out and immediately get on the big red fish yeah. and a big thunderstorm rolls in and pushes us out yeah it was kind of like one thing after another this trip it really was with the, that storm is like guys we were fishing for i don't know two three hours and finally get on a on a on a pretty good bite um catching i don't know we caught four or five in a row and wanted to stay but giant thunderhead was rolling in right on top of us so we made the decision to, to leave there and we actually ended up finding some other fish we, we did really good uh yesterday it was it was really really good and then today started out really well <laughs> and then yeah guys we broke down and uh not a, not a good thing having broke problems and uh yeah so 
that that did happen. That was my first time getting towed back as a captain. <laughs> so you got me there. I was going. <laughs> Once again, another another humbling experience. <laughs> yeah, it was, man. It was. And the thing the thing I kept thinking about when we were getting towed in is like, you know, I don't know. Somebody told me a long time ago, you know, the adventure doesn't really start till things go wrong, which it can't happen. It it just and that never really happened. The, you know, we just kind of got towed in. There was anticlimactic for sure. But there was something cool to be said. You know, you came fishing with me so much, and you think about all the experiences we had. How how couldn't we have broken down at one point or another? Exactly. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> it's there's, just part of the game. There's so <laughs> many times where everything went perfectly perfectly right. Um, of the I don't know, dozens of times we fished together, uh, I can think of two days where maybe three now well two days where we didn't catch fish one was on monday yeah. or sunday when nobody <laughs> caught fish and the other one was i had my my son and his buddy down here and we slaughtered them for two days the third day it was blowing like 35 knots and raining <laughs> and we tried to convince the boys not to go out and they said no 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 we came down here to fish let's go fishing and we blew around for like five hours in the miserable weather and i think we caught 400 catfish and finally caught one redfish <laughs> but those are the only two days out of the dozens i've been down here that he hasn't just loaded me up with every species and yeah definitely happens man venice is uh really good really consistent but it definitely at times it just you know i don't know sometimes you just miss the mark bad decisions or it just sucks <laughs> it's just fishing it's just fishing and yeah. you've heard the old cliche of it's called fishing, not catching. And <laughs> even in the best places in the world, that does happen once in a while. Yeah, it does, for sure. So, um, where else have you been fishing? I know you just went down to uh, Casa Vieja Lodge down in uh, Guatemala. Huh? How was I, that? I did. That was that was fantastic. That was uh, kind of one of the things that uh, I asked my son, where where two places you want to go? And before I had to get into my, my medical stuff, I got to deal with it here in the near future. Uh, I asked him, where are two places you want to go? And he says, I want to go to Bristol Bay, Alaska, and do one of those fly-out fishing trips, and I want to go to, to Guatemala to Casa Vieja Lodge. And just a couple weeks ago, we did the trip to Casa Vieja, and that was myself, my son, his buddy, Tyler, and my, one of my best friends, Doug, and his son, Buck. And we had gotten down there, and day one, we... We had over 50 sailfish come into the sets. We we raised over 50. We hooked like 49 and landed 47 or 40, 46 of them, and it was wow. absolutely amazing. Uh, so that was a that was a fantastic day. The next day we dropped down to like 18, but on the second day I've always wanted to catch a uh, 40 inch plus or 40 pound plus bull red. And, bull dolphin, right? Yeah, bull dolphin, bull yeah. Ma mahi, dorado, dolphin, whatever you, whatever, yeah. everybody calls them someplace different. But I ended up catching a 42-pound uh, a dorado. So that was one of my things I, I knocked off the list. And then about three hours later, I caught a 125-pound sailfish on a fly rod. <laughs> so, like, I knocked off two of my top five things in the same day. Day, day three um, slowed down a little bit more, but we still caught, like, a dozen sailfish and my son Mitchell – and Tyler both caught big bull dorados that day. Wow, so, that's so, awesome. So that that's was that epic, was a, huh? that was a really really <laughs> really cool epic trip. Uh, one of the other really cool parts of that trip um, was I had the opportunity to be introduced to uh, Dr. Guy Harvey. 
oh, uh, really? famous artist, conservationist, and I got to meet him and his daughter Jessica and his CEO uh, uh, Steve Roden, and almost became fast friends uh, while we were down there. Uh, met up with a guy in the morning. He was an early riser like me, like me. So we'd get up in the morning and have coffee together, and. Uh, that's cool, man. How and, was he? He was cool. Oh, he's fantastic. Wonderful, wonderful gentleman. Very, uh, very genuine. Very gracious. Uh, everybody that was there that knew yeah. who he was was coming up, saying, "Hey, can I get my picture with you? Can you <laughs> sign this? I've got your famous old man in the sea painting on my wall." Uh, and he's yeah. just a very, very genuine, nice. He's guy. one of the goats, man. I mean, he, I mean, he had like the. I mean, I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, that's one of the first fishing apparel. Uh, shirts that I can remember, you know, I mean, that was like the yeah. first ones that came in. It was like, it seemed like it was Gal Harvey and then the next and then the next and the next, you know, but uh, it seemed like they were the original, like, fishing shirt, you know, apparel, at least where I'm from, you know. Yeah. And it's funny because I knew him from his conservation work because when I was a kid, I wanted to be Jacques Cousteau. Really? Uh, yeah. So you didn't even know him from his shirts? That's I how mean, I, 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 I mean, that I was knew. my first, my, was my first, like, know of Gry Harvey you know I didn't know anything about like, I knew him as an artist and I knew his his uh background as a as a conservationist and a scientist so I knew he made shirts I've seen Guy Harvey shirts and stuff where I go and, and since I fished all over and been to a thousand um, gift shops that sell fish and apparel so I've seen it but I just never really so I didn't think his brand was that big I guess and, until I actually spent time talking to him and, and doing some research on it but um, as we were as we were down there and spending a lot of time together and talking, um, I was actually going to become part of their organization really? and and work on doing some conservation work and maybe developing some some new stuff in Minnesota, uh, where I live, um, or potentially down here in Louisiana because the people that I know and the time I spent down here. But with the the treatment plan I have to go through now, we kind of put that on hold. If 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 everything works out well, maybe I'll get tied back into that again. But uh, but yeah, I mean, he, I mean, that would be cool to be able to work in something like that, you know, more of a, more along the lines of your hobby. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, that would that would be my dream job to go yeah. travel around and teach people about fishing and conservation and tell stories and go to go to marlin tournaments and and just hang out with with guys and and, and girls that love to fish. Yeah, and that's the best part of it. Um, his, I mean, you talk about him being a, a legend in the fishing and the in the apparel side. His daughter Jessica has like. I don't, I don't know how many world records, like junior angler world records. Wow, uh, she, I bet so. She, she's a heck, she's a heck of a fisher, heck, heck of an angler. It'd be uh, a disappointment if she didn't. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and it's funny because I, I love the ocean. I love everything that goes on when you're out in the ocean. Not just catching fish, but everything you see when you're out there. Yeah. Uh, when we were out in Guatemala one day, we were there was three boats <clears throat> from Casa Vieja Lodge, excuse me, and. There was our boat, the release guy and his daughter were on the Hooker, which is a very famous, That's a very fi- famous fishing boat. boat. Yeah. And the Makaira was another boat that had a, a group of four or five clients on it. And we'd all were like out, out 30, 40, 50 miles off the coast of Guatemala, um, uh, Puerto San Jose. And we come across this bait ball. And I look out, I've never seen a bait ball this big ever in my life. It had to be hundreds of yards wide and like a half a mile long and it was just fish busting everywhere and then a whole giant school of dolphin like trying to encircle this bait ball and we're trying to get all three of the boats to encircle the bait ball because guy and and his daughter and one of their friends wanted to jump in the water and film 
what was mm-hmm. going on under the bait ball. So as we're trying to maneuver the bait ball in between the three boats, the dolphins are moving the bait ball away from all of the three boats. It was like this chess match of how we move everything <laughs> around to, to get everybody on it. And we get to where the bait ball all of a sudden just turns and comes right under our boat. And we had six rods in the water because we were trolling for sailfish. All of a sudden, all of our rods, all six of them popped down, and they're all like eight, nine, ten pound bonita. And <laughs> so we're trying to haul these bonita out to get our things out of the water. And the bait ball turns, goes over towards Guy and his daughter. They do whatever it is, and we take off and we leave. And we go back to, to fishing for sailfish. Don't think anything about it. We get back to the lodge that night, and Guy and Jessica are sitting at a table with their laptop computer, and I'm looking at the footage, and they, they're seeing all these blue marlin come up and eating all these things, shooting by them, and big schools of Dorado. And I said, wow, that's really cool footage. Where did you guys film that? And they said, today, in that bait ball. <laughs> I said, today? He goes, yeah. He goes, when you guys pushed everything over, we jumped in the middle of it with our GoPros and filmed all this. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do this for a living, but I don't think I've got the balls to jump into a <laughs> giant school of bait with a bunch of predators going off, blue marlin and sharks and, Sign and, me and up, big drop. I know, and you, you'd be in there in a heartbeat, <laughs> in there just going to Sign town on it. Up. I'm in there. <laughs> but it, 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 was real, it was a really, really cool experience to see stuff like yeah. that. But. Yeah, the, you notice that a lot in, like, artists, and, and, like, just like you were saying, you appreciate every <laughs> aspect of being out there. It's hard to – people that aren't all out in the water all the time – or people that uh, book charters a lot, they they I feel like a lot of times they go out there with the the goal to catch fish, but your goal should be really just to have fun and and appreciate everything that you're seeing out there, you know. And it's exactly and you you know you see that a lot in artists and uh, uh, I, I know I talked to Chrissy Wehebe and his her her dad was a huge proponent of that. Get in the water, look at what's there, you know, and. And try to, like you said, appreciate every aspect of it. But it's I've definitely seen that from you, you know, if we're not catching fish or whatever, you, you're just as happy as anybody. <laughs> yeah, I, I see so many people. Like, we'll go to Alaska or Costa Rica or something, and we'll see a bunch of people. They'll be booking a, a, a whale-watching charter. And I've been on, like, three whale-watching charters in my life with my wife and, and, and other people. And you go out and you'll see, like, a whale. Maybe, maybe two, if you're lucky, you're out for, like, an hour yeah. or two. But yet you go book a 10-hour fishing charter out of mm-hmm. Seward, Alaska, and you'll see 50 whales out no there. No telling today. what you'll see. Yeah, and you'll <laughs> see whales and dolphins. And, I mean, we've had the, the scene where, yeah. the, where the whales come up right next to the boat eating the herring and doing the bubble nets. And it's just crazy how much wildlife you get to see. I, I took my wife Elizabeth out. Um, we went to Crocodile Bay, Costa Rica uh, for her 40th birthday a few years ago. And we went out for a day of, of, of fishing. And she's not very good on the water. She gets seasick just looking at the ocean. Right. So we went out one day, and luckily it, w- it was relatively calm. And we were looking off in the distance, and we saw this big thunderstorm kind of pop up. And she goes, I want to go out there because you're always telling me about getting caught in these big rainstorms out in the ocean. I want to go experience what's that's, what that's like. So I said, great. So we headed out there, <laughs> and it was pouring down rain wind was blowing um i can't remember if there was a water spout that day or not because we've seen so many huge water spouts down there so we go through the rain for a few minutes and she says that's enough i don't want to do this anymore so we blew out of the rainstorm came back and as we're going back towards the towards the dock area towards the lodge two uh 
big uh, humpback whales come out. Yeah. And they're just like cruising real slow next to the boat. And then we pull into this little kind of clearing area, this crystal clear, calm water. And these two giant bottlenose dolphins come by the boat. And they just sat there and played for like 20 minutes. They'd go on their back under the boat and wave their fins at us. And, yeah. and she thought that was just amazing. And then later on, we had a, a whole school of uh, like little manta rays or devil rays, but they were jumping yeah, out, yeah, cha jumping chasing out. each other everywhere. And That's cool. She doesn't like to fish. She's got one. Well, she's got a bonita in Mexico, and then we snagged some sockeyes, and she caught some silvers on a trip to Alaska. That's all the fishing she's ever caught. But she loved all the wildlife that was out there, and that's yeah, that's yeah. what you get to appreciate. If you if you can appreciate that, some some people like that 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 you bring around, it it almost rubs off on you. You know, mm -hmm. you start to be like, oh, well, they think that's cool. It is cool. Like I don't know why I don't think it's cool. You know, I, I see that all the time, and like and it's one of the reasons I think I like being a guide is because. You know, like your guys that we just took the, you know, Jesse and Rob, they they never seen an alligator before. I see alligators every day. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> you don't you you'd look at it like a squirrel or anything you'd see up up north by you guys. Exactly. But uh, you know, it it is cool. It's cool because it's it's out there and it's you know it's part of nature. It's it's super cool for sure. I mean, up where we live in Minnesota, I mean, I'm from Oregon originally, and I moved to Minnesota in the in the uh, early '90s, and the first time I went ice fishing, uh, I was living up in northern Minnesota and a little town called Akeley, and the guy that owned the bait shop called me up and said, hey, have you been ice fishing yet? And I said, no, I don't even know. I don't own any equipment. I don't know what to do or how to do it. I'll come pick you up, and we'll go ice fishing. So the guy comes over to the house, um, says, let's hop in your car, and we'll drive down to the boat ramp. So I'm thinking, why are we driving down the boat ramp? The water is, the ice is like three feet thick. I said, we're not taking a boat anywhere. So we get down the boat ramp, and, got, and I stop, and I said, so what? We, we walk out. We got a snowmobile. What? He goes, no. He says, just drive on out there. So I'm in my, my company car. Was like, it's like this 1992 Cadillac Fleetwood Brome that weighs 8,000 pounds. <laughs> and I, we drive out on the ice, and the guy jumps out and starts drilling holes <laughs> to the middle of this lake. And I'm sitting out there in my company car. I'd never stood on water in my life. I'm I'm not Jesus, and I grew <laughs> up where the water where the lakes don't freeze, and I was just in awe of how cool that was to that, drive out on yeah driving on <laughs> driving on a lake drilling a hole through the ice and and hauling fish through it. I just thought that was so cool. Somebody from I have got to go do that. Yeah, man. that would be such a I, I one of you know some of the biggest moments that I regret in my life. Or whenever I'm invited to go on a trip or go experience something with somebody, and then I don't. And ice fishing's one of them. There was a client a while back, and they invited me to go up to Maine to go snowmobile to go ice fishing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know for whatever reason. I think it was in February, money or I don't. I don't even remember why I didn't go. But I didn't go. But that's one of those things that I always think, man, I should have been ice fishing by now, but I haven't. Yep. You know? it, it seems like a really cool experience you know it's got to be <laughs> it's definitely something different where like you said you come down here and you see an alligator and we, we look at that and go, wow that's really cool there's an alligator in the water yeah i mean seeing a, a, a frozen lake covered in huts and people driving on it to us is normal in the winter time and yeah. people from up here would see that and, and lose their lose yeah, their stuff going what it. the hell is going on why are those idiots out there standing <laughs> on the water trying to fish through an ice hole yeah yeah no it's it's super cool man to and you know that's and just to sum up what we were just talking about. That's one of the reasons I've always liked taking you fishing. Is you're one of those people that 
somehow over the years you've managed to manage lower expectations <laughs> and get excited about the small stuff. Right? Yeah, and, and, you, and you have to. Uh, I mean, there are places. I mentioned Bristol Bay, Alaska, the trip that I took my son Mitchell to last summer. That was kind of our bucket bucket list item thing we wanted to go do. And that was that was phenomenal. Every we stayed at a five star lodge, Bristol Bay Lodge, um, up in up now up in the middle of nowhere in Alaska, it's up by uh, uh, Lake Iliamna, uh, the Quechak River, the Neck Neck, all those famous rivers. Well, every day you get up and you fly out with a with a float plane and a, and a pilot, and they take you in the middle of nowhere where there's nobody else fishing, and all day long you're just fly fishing for salmon and cohos and sockeyes and pinks and and rainbows and arctic char and grayling it's almost every cast you're catching fish but it's just the whole um every every day is a different pilot with a different personality and, yeah, and that's got to be amazing man it, it was just it's unreal i mean one guy t-bird i mean he's been flying uh beaver to Havilands for 46 years and he's just I mean, he's one of the most craziest guys I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> and he, like, flies right next to the sides of the mountains. He, he, he dive bombs grizzly bears as you're going by and moose as you get a good look at <laughs> And he laughs the whole time he's doing it. He's, he just has a really, really great time. And he's That's just awesome. He's just, like, the most, he's awesome. one of the most optimistic people I've ever met. I mean, you can't have a bad time fishing, fishing with T-Bird. Even if, there's no, you know, if there, there was a chance of not catching fish with him, which there isn't up there, yeah, right. he would. You'd still have the time of your life, and that's that's such a <laughs> huge part of of the adventure of fishing is not what you catch, it's the experience and the places that it that it takes you. Like like yeah. like you said, I've been fortunate to go to so many places, and oh, so many things. We've talked about it ever since the first time fishing. You know, I always tell people if if you're not living life uh, for the experience um, that that life's providing, then you're probably not doing it right. And you've always kind of lived that same way. You know, you live. Uh, live for the experience not you know things or you know trying to make memories you know and memories are experiences that you're having with people you, you like to be around yeah <laughs> I know one of the things when we first kind of started fishing together you'd say what do you want to catch today what's the target species and I'd say well I don't know let's let's go catch triple tail yeah or let's go do something like that so I would know that it would take you 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 would set up specifically for that with the specific rods and the specific baits and we go out, I think the first time we did that was with my son and his buddy. And we went out, and right off the bat, we got like three triple tail, 15 to 20 pounds. And I think I lost a couple. And we spent maybe three hours going after that. And next thing you know, um, I'm standing on the side of the boat trying to pitch a spinner across the rig trying to catch Sarah mackerels. <laughs> and, and, you, and you look at me and go, what the hell are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm catching mackerels. And you said, well, I thought we'd catch, try to catch triple tail. And I said, well, I'm bored with that. I want to catch something else now. <laughs> and you're like, but we're out here to get you a triple tail. And I said, yeah, I understand that. And I appreciate that. But I, I put my two hours in today, and I want to do something else. Yeah, and eventually, yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, and eventually we did. you kept pushing and pushing and pushing and made me go do it. And I did finally get my triple tail, and I was happy with that. Yeah. But yeah. Sometimes it's, you know, it's not always the way you want it to be. But, yeah, you you have always done that, you know. And I, and I think that's why – I think that's why not only you but a lot of people will book me is they don't – it's pretty rare that I go out with one target in mind. I mean, if, if I go out with one target in mind, usually it's because the weather sucks. But if you have good weather, I'm usually going to – at least two targets. I, you know, I, and I used to do more, but I feel like if you do uh, if you do one target 
uh, that's good. Two is good because you can kind of split up the day. But once you do three, it kind of messes things up because yep. you start spreading yourself thin, I feel like. I mean, sometimes it works out. Don't get me wrong. There's days I've you know gone out and targeted three or four species, and you catch every single one of them. But um, I feel like once you're – like if you're looking for redfish, if you spend two or three hours looking for redfish and – you don't find any but you're still two or three hours closer to finding them <laughs> you, right. you know what i mean but if you switch your target every hour you end up with <laughs> end up with nothing but exactly we've we've always done really well i feel like with uh doing that like and it took me a, a long like i feel like every guide kind of you know whenever you start doing it you you end up developing a rhythm you know things that you like to do um on a regular and i i think it took me a while to develop that but now I really feel like I've got it kind of dialed in as, you know, I tell people pick two, you know, we can pick two and we can work from there. And, you know, sometimes people like you'll, you'll say you want to go target something. And I'll be like, man, it ain't going to happen. You know, it just ain't going to happen. And we, we'll just kind of go from there. You know, we kind of do what you can, you know. Yep. One one thing I've learned over the, the years of fishing with a lot of guides <laughs> is two things. Yeah, what, this is a good question yeah. that we want is uh, what, what do you look for in a guide? Well, yeah, I mean – one is 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 personality obviously you, they you got to have a, a personality that meshes with with the with the with anchor you. that's yeah, with, with me because yeah. if i'm out fishing with somebody that i'm not enjoying spending time with why bother why bother because you're going to end up with a bad day right so. they're, they're they're bumming <laughs> my stone for that day so that i don't like that uh secondly find somebody who's willing to put in the effort um i fished with a number of guides all over the world at, at all different places from a $200 trip, a day trip, to a $2,000 a day trip that they show up just to get their check and go home. And they come out and they, they'll, they'll say, well, the fish just aren't biting today. And they don't put any effort into it. One thing that you've always done for us, if the fish aren't biting here, we go someplace else and we try something else. And if they aren't biting here, we go someplace else and we try something else. Yeah, and if that, if that ain't working, then we go try for a different kind of fish or yeah. we go do something. <laughs> I mean, yesterday was a perfect example of that. Um, those are the best guides, the guides that really put out an effort. And, yeah. and you get a lot of that from word of mouth. Um, talk to people that, that have fished with these people. Like when I'll be out on a, on a trip, like the one in Guatemala, I'll be talking to somebody about, boy, I'd, I'd really like to catch a uh, black marlin or some blue marlin someday. And the guy will say, oh, man, I was at this lodge, Tropic Star Lodge in Panama. And, man, it's just fantastic. And the people there are great. And I fish all over the place, and this is a great one that I went to, and you take that to heart. I mean, a lot of these people yeah. that go do these places, they're, they're, if they find a good guide or a good resort, they're more than happy to share. Yeah. And they'll also say, don't go here or don't go there yeah. because it's been a really people, bad experience. Whenever you talk to people one-on-one, um, -on -one, they're brutally honest. You know what I mean? Yep. You can't always – I mean, a lot of times your reviews and things will, will set, you know, but like – I've found this out through my own traveling is a lot of times when you look online or you go and you try to find something online, you end up in a lot of traps, but I've, I would always do a lot of what you're saying, word of mouth. A lot of times, you know, if I, if, you know, wherever I've gone, you show up, you kind of find a local, have a drink with them, whatever. And then they will tell you the things that you really want to do. And, right. that, and, and, and that, and I feel like, a lot of your guides you get found out the same way you know if you, the good ones you, you they don't really need any advertisement or anything they they kind of you know people will come because they're they're doing what they need they're doing their job you know what i mean and and just like you're saying you know uh 
yeah, I mean, that, that personal recommendation is something that, that, you know, I always, I think for me, I've always, I want people to come and, and leave happy. You know, that was one of the reasons that I stopped doing the offshore because I felt like the offshore, not that you can't make people happy, but it's a lot more cutthroat. It's a lot more, you either suck or you're really cool. It's it's about a lot more. Yeah. There's a lot more, uh, you know, trying, you have to get it done and, and there's a lot less uh, talking and there's a lot less interaction with uh, the client as far as, uh, you know, hooking, hooking the fish themselves and reeling it in themselves, doing the whole thing themselves. Offshore, you're trolling, you're live baiting and a lot of that stuff. So that's one of the reasons I like doing the inshores because I can take guys like you and you guys can, you know, actually cast and you, we can we can talk a lot, develop a relationship and then, you know, keep doing it. Yeah, <laughs> it's de- it's definitely more one on one on the yeah. in, on the inshore stuff. Yeah, and I do a lot of I do a lot of fly fishing and a lot of times it's just you and a guide, you yeah. and a guide on a boat, you and a guide on a stream. Um, yeah. So you really get a chance to to get up close and personal and learn who that person is and Definitely. and actually get to spend some time with them. And I I have done some offshore stuff here a couple times with with uh, some of the big boats out here. And two of the reasons it gets really kind of tough on the clients when you do something like that is one, it's it's expensive. It's expensive, it's expensive yeah. to to go out and rent a, a boat to go offshore for a day. Yeah. Uh, secondly, especially down here in Venice and Alaska, weather is such a huge factor. Yeah. You can plan an entire year to come down here to go fishing for three days offshore or Alaska for three days offshore and get blown out all three days and not have a trip out of it. Yeah. And so when you get out on one of those, your expectations are so high. I've spent all this money. I've put in all this time to get this book. <laughs> and then you get out and you hook a big one tuna and it gets eaten by a shark. And, and then yeah. everybody goes home pissed off because they've got an empty box or they got a few snapper. And a heavy bill. Yeah, and a big bill to pay for it. Yet you go offshore, you're, you're paying a lot less money. You'll catch a lot more fish and have a lot more fun, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, yeah, everybody's different, yeah, right? Yeah, and everybody does. But I mean, there's days I came out with with your company, Mexican Gulf, and went offshore, and we went out for like four hours with Billy on the Wild Bill, and we caught 125, 165, and a 203 pound tuna, and, um, and then we caught a bunch of bonita and blackfin and all kinds of other stuff to the point where our arms were dropping off and we were begging to go home. Yeah, yeah that's enough. <laughs> we don't want this anymore. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, we, we've had it. <laughs> we and, get it. <laughs> yeah, and I understand why people like to do that offshore stuff because, man, when it's on, it's just absolutely amazing. But It is. It is, man. And that, it's I, a big commitment, though, to, to, to put that kind of time and money into and, it. To and I'll say I'm it. in no means trying to talk people out of doing offshore. I, I love offshore you do oh yeah <laughs> it's Big fun time. but there's yeah. just there's the pros and the cons man and, yep. the, and the and the cons are you know heavy bills and and uh long runs and the pros are big rewards <laughs> yeah yeah the uh the guatemala thing here of just high a, risk high reward yeah That's just, it is, just, right? a, just a few weeks ago I mean, one of my things i've always wanted to do was to catch a sailfish on a, on a fly rod and guatemala is one of the best places in the world to do that and we had, the second day we had get that quite a few fish still coming in and my son's a he's like me he's a big talker likes to brag about a lot of stuff about what a great fisherman <laughs> he is so we decided we're going to go try and get one on a fly and he says I'll show you how to do this and he picks up the fly rod and goes through the technique and big the big sail comes up in the set and he flips her back and throws the fly to it and pulls it right in front that sail comes up and just sucks that fly down and he picks it up and pulls it right out of its face <laughs> and 
my buddy Doug gets up and says, I'll give it a shot. He goes up there, flips it back, throws it in another one, hits it right, right in front of it, thing opens his mouth, sucks it down. He pulls it to the left. It goes to the left, and he pulls it right out of his face. So I get up there, and I just said, you guys, I've had enough of this. I'm, I'm going to go take care of it and show you how this is done. I just spent like five days with one of the best fly fishing guides in Florida <laughs> giving me private lessons on how to catch tarpon and cast. So I'm all cocky and confident, and I get up there. I grab the fly, captain calls out, fly in the water. I pitch the fly in the water. He says, cast. I make my back cast. I saw the bill come up. I threw it, and I laid it about two feet in front of his bill. He opens his mouth, and I'd already decided I'm setting the hook to the left. He came in from the, from the left going right. I set the hook, and it, you can just see it stick right in the side of his face. He took off straight down, broad bends over, and for 20 minutes, I don't think he stopped jumping. I, for 20 <laughs> minutes, that sailfish just went left and right everywhere and And we got him on the boat and i mean to me that was one of the greatest experiences of all the fishing things i've ever done was to to to, to do that with do that with something about doing it on the fly man you know i it's it's, we we got we got jokes for days about fly fishermen down here in Mm. venice yeah and i've heard them all (laughs) so far i think (laughs) but uh there is there is something to fly fishing because it's 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 so it's very challenging and you have to be in the right place at the right time and it's those moments like you're talking about where you actually it all comes together and Mm -hmm. it works and you, you remember that for a long time and I don't know, man. There's there's something really special there. Maybe maybe in a few years I might dabble into <laughs> to yeah. doing the fly fishing once I get burnt out of all this other stuff. But no, it's that's super cool, man. I I uh I'd like to you know I, I'd like to experience that for myself. I think I've never caught anything substantial on a fly, but I I, I do understand it. I definitely understand it. Like as, as from a spear fisherman's perspective, you know, at spear fishing you put a lot of money, a lot of time. And you're trying to shoot something real specific, and then when it comes together, it's that—that's what you want. That aha, great, you know, oh, yeah. you worked really hard for it, and you got it, type of feeling, you know. And then, this—this—I—I I get what fly fishing's about. I really do. <laughs> you talk about—we even talked about the target species thing a little earlier. And we're gonna go after this fish today. And anytime you set a target on something and then succeed at it, it's—it's—it's it's, it's an amazing accomplishment. And um, I've, I've, I've caught permit and bonefish and, and all the species of salmon and trout on fly and everything and targeted all of them. One that has frustrated me for, for years is tarpon. Yeah. Uh, I've hooked a bunch of them, uh, cannot land one. Yeah. Um, I've break heard that them, from a lot break, of people. Break them off. And <laughs> I mean, to me, it's the only fish that I've ever fished for that if you just get them to take the hook and get them to jump out of the water, it's considered a success, uh, to me, that's not really successful. You don't get them to the boat, but down there, it's, hey, if you jump up, if you jump you a poon, jump a fish, yeah, if you jump good. a poon, you, you you've done your job. And yeah. but to me, I I love to put. I have caught one and I have landed it, but it was only 27 inches, so it was a little oh, tiny baby. Cool, so but cool. but I have I have I have got one. Um, <laughs> so that that was a lot of fun. But but yeah, uh, you know, another thing with the fly fishing, I think, is is you got to set down everything else. Oh yeah, it's you, just like targeting a species specific fish. Right? Exactly, you can't. You can't like, you can't like what you've always done is bring the fly rod. Yep. But we never caught anything on the fly. <laughs> then every take, I hardly ever even take it out of the box. Because you hardly ever take it out. Yeah. But, but that's that's the thing is you know with spear fishing or whatever you fly fishing whatever you're doing, or cane pole fishing is a very good yep. example. You know I've caught some pretty substantial fish on those cane poles. 
but that's only because I sat everything else down. Exactly. <laughs> and used the cane pole, you know. Yep. Well, and that's what it takes for sure. Yeah, like my my uh, my little jigging things I brought down here. Yeah, my, he brings my, my, the goo fish rods. Yep, the, yeah. goo, the goo fish rods with the butterfly slow pitch jigs and – yeah, those are very specific use. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. We've caught some cool stuff on those yeah. things. Yeah, first time I brought them down, you kind of looked at me like, what in the hell are you doing yeah. with that? You're not going to haul anything up with that. They're just going to snap in half. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I've seen it on TV. I've seen YouTube guys yeah. go out and catch all these big fish down in Australia and Fiji and everything. And it's supposed to be the, the neatest thing since sliced bread. And So I take that thing out. The first day we took it out, I think I jigged it about four times off the bottom, and all of a sudden thing bends over like a horseshoe, and I pull up about a – 25 pound bull red on it from 200 feet of water yeah. like holy crap you can I mean, actually caught some nice fish. cobias on those things we did too, we, last fall yep yeah. we caught some cobia we caught a bunch of bull reds uh yeah got a snapper i yeah, think your buddy I think caught a, a um a, a little strawberry grouper on it too yeah that's cool yep. yeah yeah so that was that was a lot of fun uh you mentioned about the the uh the fly fishing how you got to be kind of dedicated to that and mitchell after we did the the bristol bay alaska trip um and your then, son, Mitchell. Yeah, my, my son, Mitchell. He came back and he said, man, he says, I don't think I'm ever going to do any kind of fishing again other than fly fishing. <laughs> and he's kind of like me. He gets it in his head. He's going to do something. That's just what he's going to do. So um, he lives in, in outside of Breckenridge, Colorado. So he's in some of the best fly fishing country in the world for trout. And on the way down to, to Guatemala, I drove down there and I took all my all my fly rods, all my five weights, my seven weights, all my tack, all my flies, leaders, everything, and gave them to him. And I said, I want you to use these while you're living in Colorado, and I want you to learn how to catch catch these trout on on flies. And now now that the snow is melted and the rivers are running and the fish are running, it's like every other day. He sends me a picture of him standing in a stream with like a 20-inch brown trout or 22-inch <laughs> cutthroat or seven-pound rainbow. That's awesome. Oh, and he's just and he's like, man, this fly fishing stuff is amazing. Now that I know how to do it, and that's awesome. So yeah, so now he's just he's all in on the on the on the fly, on the fly fishing. fishing. He won't do anything else now. So now he's moving to Charleston, South Carolina. So now he can uh, fly fish for redfish and and trout and other stuff all that out kind there. Of stuff, huh? That's so awesome. Yeah, he's he's pretty excited about the whole thing. That's awesome, man. That's super cool. Glad, uh, glad you you uh, transcended the 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 passion for the water and the fishing, man. That's really cool. <laughs> oh yeah, you have to. Yeah, yeah. Always tell people that it's like, you know, <coughs> among other sports, a lot of these other sports you have to give them up eventually. Whether it's basketball, football, you know, uh, name a sport. I mean, golf can stay a lot longer than most other sports. But fishing and hunting is one of those, if you start at a young age and you develop a passion for it, it can last a lifetime. Oh, Tons of camaraderie will come from it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to be a part of. And, I, you know, I always encourage everybody to, to be a part of it. It's, it's an amazing thing. Really yeah, is. it is a great thing to pass on to your children. That's one of the things I asked Dr. Harvey when I was talking to him. I, I said, man, you've done all kinds of fishing, and you've had records, and you fished everywhere. and I said, what are your best memories? And he goes, fishing with my kids. Yeah. He says, yeah. that's what it's all about. He says, those are my best fishing buddies. All my best memories are, are me and my, my son and my daughter catching fish somewhere. And, yeah, and, 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 and mine, too. I mean, some of the best I would say some memories of mine are the is, same thing. You know, my, my dad grew up taking us offshore to, to go dive reefs at a young age and survey the reefs and let the, the – the Mississippi Gulf Fishing Banks, the Artificial Reef Program, know how they were doing. And that's kind of how we developed, uh, me and all my brothers have developed a passion. But through all those years, I mean, there's so many times, 
you know, diving and fishing together, you, you really cherish those moments with the ones you love doing what you love to do more than anything. You know, it's it's an amazing. It really is. It's, yeah, and it's great. It's, nothing, it's almost undescribable. Yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 I see it with my son. And what I didn't understand, like the the last few times my dad and I had went fishing, we'd been to Alaska together, and he still lives out in the Pacific Northwest. We'd fished in Oregon a few times, and up in British Columbia. And we'd go fishing, and I would find him just kind of sitting in the back of the boat watching my brother and I catch fish. And we'd say, Dad, why aren't, why aren't you up here fishing? Eh, I've caught so many fish in my life. I, I, I just get joy out of watching you guys do it. <laughs> and I could just I never really quite got that. Why, my God, I, hope I never get to a point in my life where I enjoy watching people catch fish more than I do catching it. And then it happened, and I got to the point where – I started taking people to these different places. I've, I've taken, I brought a whole bunch of different people down here that have never seen anything like this. And I get more joy watching them yeah. haul in something they've oh, never yeah. seen before than catching it myself. I'll, I'll just sit in the back of the boat and watch people catch yeah. their first redfish or their, their first tuna or, or anything like that. Or up in Alaska getting their first salmon or their first halibut. It just, yeah. it, it's a rush to, to watch them and, and think that, you know. That was me one time. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> I, and I really hope that in, in 20 years – that this guy's taking his kid out doing the same thing and carrying yeah. on that fishing. Because a lot of the guys I take fishing don't fish a lot. Yeah. They I've just, noticed over the years, you know, it's almost like you're somewhat of a god as well. You know, you're taking people taking people you love or you know from back home and bring them down here fishing and show them, you know, what you do. And that's, I don't know, it's really cool to see, to see that because it is, it's almost like you are a god because that's kind of what I get out of it, you know. I love taking people out there for the first time. And I, I think I'll – I'd say a good bit of my trips, you know, it's somebody that fishes quite a bit and they bring somebody that is either getting into fishing or doesn't fish that often and trying to show them, you know, trying to uh, keep their their want to fish, keep it going, you know, and it and it, and it works. It definitely works, man, and it's it's a ton of fun. Well, um, any more stories you want to mention, man? Uh, I've, I've got thousands of them, but... Um, <laughs> I, I don't really have any any other stories in, in particular fishing-wise. Like I said, I, I, I've i got thousands yeah. of them, and we could talk about it for what, hours um, and hours. But. I know a lot of the listeners might want to know, what what is it that you do what, if you want to divulge in uh, your business? Yep. Um, I uh, I work for one of the – the partner in one of the largest uh, mechanical contracting companies in the U.S. Okay. Uh, I started a the conveyor food processing division for them 25 years ago. So we build uh, automated uh, conveying systems, and automated packaging systems for companies like Nestle and ConAgra and, and General Mills and Kellogg's. Yeah. So if you go to the grocery store and you buy, see all these things on the shelves that are put in a box or in the cooler or in the freezer that are packaged up, I design and my team design usually most of the equipment that puts that stuff together and, and builds it. That's pretty cool. So y'all are like on how it's made and shit? Yeah, like pretty much. When you see those how it's made shows, <laughs> half that shit that's in there is stuff that, that, that me and my team have invented and, and, really? de- and developed and designed. And That's some interesting work, man, because, you know, like we like people like, like me, like I'm sitting right here in front of a water bottle and my soundboard and all this. Like I don't know how to make any of this shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like no clue, you know, like yep. nowhere to start or anything. It's 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 cool to know that there's people out there with trades like you that know how all this shit works. <laughs> oh, it's funny because when you look at this electrical panel, like today when you guys are trying to fix the electrical issue with the boat, I have no idea what you guys are trying to do. So I just sat, I just sat up there on the front of the boat and just kept catching fish while you guys were trying to fix it. But yet you come to me with a food product and say we need to make. 
50,000 of these per hour, and we got to make 10 million of them in a month and get them packaged and wrapped up and sent off and get them to, to the grocery stores. I can start with a with a with a napkin, a, a pencil, and a and a product. And this is and, how we do it. Yeah, and in six months we got a plant that's running ten million pounds of it a a, a year. Wow. So and that's that's what I've done for for twenty five years. I was very happy and very honored uh, this past year. I was awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award for my company. Really. So it's the uh, uh, Robert Hosh Memorial Achievement Award. Uh, he was one of the founding uh, members of our company. And uh, so I was uh, selected as the 2021 uh, recipient of that award. There's only been four of them given out so far, so I was. That's awesome. I was pretty pretty <laughs> proud of that. Um, but yeah, uh, I've taken. I think everybody in my division, except for maybe one or two, haven't been down here. I mean, brought really? I've brought them all down <laughs> to fish. I mean, we've brought Ryan and Brad and Brody and Brett and Scott and now Jesse. Yeah. Um, and in June, uh, here in a couple of weeks, you've got uh, one of my partners, Chad, and Rob and Ron, uh, one of my project managers, and one of my designers are coming down to fish with you. Yeah. So that that's pretty much the whole the whole the group. Whole group, huh? So you, you've, had the, you've had you've had the whole up. whole Harris conveyor division pretty much fishing <laughs> with you. And I, mean, I really do hope that they eventually bring their families yeah, they and keep kids coming down with me. and they yeah, keep I coming so. back. I, I hope so. I hope I can get them back. <laughs> I know that Ryan and Brad have both said that they're definitely coming back down again yeah. to fish some more. So, well, dude, they all think a lot about you. I'll say that all of them have, and I, and I can tell that you would be a pretty awesome person to work for. I mean, you pretty much started from the bottom and worked up, right? I mean. That's how a lot of the the best I think that do what they do. That's how you get there, right? Yep. And that's I mean, you couldn't start any more from the bottom. <laughs> I mean, I, I was I was a I was a tubing welder for a company that made French fry fryers uh, in Oregon, and I went on a field job in Idaho and broke my elbow working yeah. out in the field, and so I I couldn't fabricate. So they sent me back to the shop, and I was actually sitting in a tool crib sorting nuts and bolts into trays <laughs> and uh the owner of the company came out the next day and he says you went to uh trade school for a little while didn't you and i said yeah i said i went to i went to a community college and got my all my welding certificates and i can read blueprints and all this stuff and he says well we've got a an opening i goes, i need somebody to do estimating can you read blueprints and how and have good math skills and i said i yeah, I can read blueprints. I think my math's pretty good. So they <laughs> stuck me into estimating. I did that for six weeks, and my elbow healed up. I went back out in the field. I came back after a two-week field job, and the owner met me on the shop floor the next day and said, how would you like a full-time job as an estimator? Yeah. I said, yeah, sounds great. Did, <laughs> did that for a while, worked my way up to estimating manager, operations manager, a VP with that company, moved to the Midwest, got into outside sales, um, ended up leaving the company and coming to work for the company Hymec, which ended up becoming Harris, yeah. as they wanted to start a conveyor division. So I said, sure, I can start your conveyor division. Yeah. Well, we at that time, we were a $35 million company. We, we merged with Harris. We became a $100 million company. And now uh, next year, uh, we're going to be pushing a billion dollars in revenue. Wow. So, I mean, I here, here's a guy with a grow, grow. Yeah, I was a tubing tubing welder 35 years ago and and, and now I'm a Man, division I, general manager, partner in a billion dollar company. Yeah. I I talk with a lot of uh business owners and, and and people that are higher up in management just from doing what I do and uh 
I feel like the the ones that have started from the bottom, they just have that appreciation for the people that are working for them that a lot of uh, people that haven't worked at the bottom have no – it's something that you have to experience to know what it's like. Oh, you, yeah. can't, you can't just say that, like, you know, those guys aren't working for much and, you know, you know they're, they're at the bottom. Like, you have to have appreciation for, you know, I, th- I think uh, – you have to have appreciation for the people that are working for you. And like, you notice, I notice it so much in people like yourself that have, you know, worked their way all the way up to somebody. It's really cool. Really cool to see, man. <laughs> yeah. You're no matter where you're at in your station in life, you're no better than anybody else. You just got a different job. Exactly. You just got a different <laughs> job. You may get paid more than somebody else does, but you're no better than anybody else. Man, and in and, and my company, it, it, it doesn't run any better by what I do. It runs better based on what all my people and all my team members do for me. Yeah. So they're the ones that do the work. I'm just based, I'm at the point now in my career where I basically consult. They do all the work. Yeah. So yeah. I, I just, I just kind of sit back and, and, and give advice when I need and moral support and, and, right, and let them right. do their thing. But yeah, they yeah. they run the company. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. Really. I cool. just sit back and take credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> Super cool. Well, we'll jump back into fishing. Um, I usually like to end all the podcasts where we talk about conservation and um, we haven't really touched much on it, which is a good thing. But like, you know, you, you come down here to Venice, you see uh, a lot of fish being killed. You see a ton of fish being brought home. A lot of fish get released. But what more do you think we can do to, you know, um, keep this fishery, keep it going? It's more of a, and kind of look at it more as in a, like a client's perspective as well, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's, that's a good way to look at it from the client's perspective. Uh, people like to eat fish. Yeah. And I would love to see this, uh, this area, like any other, other, other area of that provides a fishery for, for people to continue to grow and to be there for generation after generation. And there needs to be, there needs to be limits set on fish. There needs to be management of, of fishing. Uh, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. I was, fortunate enough to live in the late 60s early 70s when the steelhead and salmon fishery was phenomenal and everybody could catch 15 20 30 40 salmon steelhead in a day Uh, now if you catch two in a year it's a lot Um, they didn't manage it well and now they're paying the price for it and i've seen that all over the world that that there's there's fisheries everywhere that 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 are, are getting hard are getting hit pretty hard mm-hmm. um i i'm not gonna say people shouldn't catch fish and eat and eat fish and, and keep fish because i'd be a, a hypocrite because i do like to catch fish i do like to keep fish i try and 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 keep it to the minimum yeah. um but at the same time i i eat everything that that i that i bring home yeah. or somebody else does give it to the neighbors whatever everybody enjoys it but yeah. I, I i i do i do see people that really take advantage of the some of the liberal limits that are down, yeah. especially down here in this area, that they yeah. catch a lot of fish. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've I've seen a lot of fisheries that that are nothing like they were twenty, thirty years ago. Yeah, and and the management side of that really does need to be maintained. It does, man, because I mean, like, let's be honest, like uh, anybody that's coming down to Venice and booking these charters. They're probably not starving, <laughs> right? Ex- exactly. <laughs> You're probably well off to begin with. Exactly. You know, it's kind of like you gotta you, you gotta think about it like that in some in some 
in some senses of mine, you know, like it wasn't that long ago that we didn't have freezers. You know right. what I mean? Now everybody has that in their mind. But I think you have done a really good job. Like you always, uh, whenever you take fish home, I feel like you always get it when it's fresh and you'll send me pictures of y'all cooking it and everything, which is really cool. I always enjoy that. But it's, uh, I think there's a big thing with like, you know, try try and take enough to where you can eat it all fresh you mm-hmm. know because it's better when it's fresh it's it's not as good when it's frozen and to me that's whenever you 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 eat fish and it's so good and you remember it so well and it's it tastes so great that that's what you want to come back for yeah you know what i mean you don't want to come back so you can put it all in your freezer mm-hmm. and you know that but i always think that you know whenever you put it Whenever you eat it fresh, it's so good. Once you don't have any more, it's time to go fishing again. Right. And I, and <laughs> you know I, what I, mean? I agree with you 100% on that, except for one thing. You have the advantage of when you want fresh fish, you walk out your door and you I'm, go out there I'm, and you catch fresh fish. I'm right? freaking spoiled, be, be, man. Because there's, there is – we had – I mean, Jesse and Rob, we gave them a, a blackened redfish and fried redfish yesterday for the first time ever for lunch or for dinner and it was what like three hours out of the water and yeah. they were eating and they both said that's the best fish i've ever had in my entire life <laughs> and yes it's, it's one of it, the very specific reasons why i tell people to eat fish that day yeah, and it's and it's never any better than it comes right out of the water in guatemala we were catching dorado and cutting sashimi and making fish burgers on the boat so yeah. i mean it doesn't get better than that but even in my station in life and 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 is, is uh as, as, as fortunate as I've been to be able to go on all these fishing trips and be able to do that, I can't just up and say, you know, I'd really like some fresh cobia. I think I'll fly down to Sea Poly yeah. and go fishing yeah. this weekend and <laughs> grab some fresh cobia and have it for dinner. i got to get it planned out and, and yeah, get the group you, there's together. A whole, there's a whole process. I could go get sure. fresh walleye and fresh perch and all that stuff that's available in Minnesota, but it's not real easy for someone in Minnesota just to pop up and say, I think I'll go out and catch me some catch me a, catch me a, some cobia fillets today for dinner. <laughs> so i gotta, I got to go out to the freezer and catch my cobia yeah and, and bring it in but no i definitely get that i definitely get that for sure but it's i don't know it's just one of those things where it's i don't know what we should advocate for you know i think everybody tries to do what's right you know in your own mind you know but you can have great intentions but do the wrong thing you know right and so you know i definitely get it i, I put fish in my freezer from time to time but I guess what I'm trying to do is stress the importance to the listeners of how much better fresh fish is. A hundred percent. And and if you're putting fish in your freezer and you know you're probably not going to get it out, just let them go. Just let them go. Exactly. You know? And you know, and the big, the biggest thing is if you're going to keep fish, treat it well. Bleed yeah. bleed it. I mean, I bring my vacuum pack machine with me when yeah. I come down here, and yeah. and we bleed it. And you do a great job of filleting it and cleaning it. And I come back here after our day of fishing. Sure, I bleed every single one of my yeah. fish, guys. I and, do. And, and we and we vacuum pack every individual fillet, and we put it in the freezer, and I get it on ice, and I take it home, and, it, and I never let it thaw out, and it stays frozen. And, yeah, is it as good as the day that you catch it? No, but it's still better than anything you're going to go to the grocery <laughs> store in Minnesota and, and find. Yeah, yeah. So, but if you're going to use it, don't just go catch 100 pounds of fillets and yeah. take it home, and then after a year go, man, I got 80 pounds of frostbitten fish in the freezer. Let's throw it in the garbage. <laughs> that's that's a huge waste, yeah. and that's disappointing. And I will say, at times, man, like when you have a hard day and, like, you guys, whatever, at times it's hard for me to want to release fish. You have a tough day or, like, whatever whatever the reason is. You just 
I don't know. For some, I think it's a, a habitual thing. You know, you get into the habit of, you know, bringing back fish to the dock. I think a lot. I think a lot of that happens in Venice is people kind of hang their ego on what they bring back to the dock at that day. Definitely. And 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 it's at times you just need to separate yourself from that. You know, you got to separate your ego from what you're killing and uh, just know you're going out and to have fun. You know. That's yeah. It. <laughs> and and it's tough when you're out on a rig. And the snapper are coming in one after another, and you go, man, that's a fish sandwich. Oh, yeah, that's that's that snapper on the half shell that I'm going to eat next month. And well, I've already got I've already got five or six. What's one more? Right. And pretty right. soon, and pretty soon you got a you got a you get box a full. You got a box full of snapper. And you're like, oh, okay, didn't really need that money, but I guess we'll eat them. But yeah, it it, it is it's kind of I can't go back and it's say it's hard to pump the brakes whenever you you're you're out there because you want to f- catch fish for dinner, but it's like uh, you know. I don't know. At what point do you pump the brakes? You know, yeah. <laughs> everybody, everybody's idea of what that, where that is, is completely different. You know. Yeah. And, and would I have just as much fun just going out for a day and, yeah. and doing catch? And I do that all the time. Yeah, I, you do. I, yeah, yeah we what, do. we've done that a bunch of times. And, and I do it a lot in, in Florida. I'll go down to the Everglades. I don't eat bonefish. I don't eat permit. I don't eat tarpon. Yeah. But I go down there and I catch them and I catch and release them and have an absolute ball. That that whole trip in Alaska. I mean, my God, we caught a thousand salmon and trout in Arctic char. We didn't bring one fish home, yeah. and it was one of the greatest fishing trips of my life—the the sailfish trip. I yeah, mean, we didn't you bring one Dorado, fish home. Yeah. yeah, we ate the Dorado. Yeah, but that's that. That shit's gonna happen. I mean, they're tasty, so you yeah. got you got to eat them when they're that fresh. But the uh, you know, we're not killing billfish or anything else. And yeah, you know, that's a weird thing too. Is like how like certain fish, like bass. Bass are like a predominantly catch and release fishery. Right. It's very rare that you'll see a bass fisherman taking lots of bass home. Almost right. never. But yeah. it, it's kind of through the conservation efforts that that have made that possible because bass are good to eat. People right. do eat bass. Yeah. But it's kind of frowned upon around the fishermen that are actually catching them. And we've done the same thing with bull reds, and we've done the same thing with other things. So I think w- you know one thing I try to do with this podcast is just to get people to think about what you're doing. You right. Know? Don't get out there and just get mad at the fish. Just just take a minute and just think about what you're doing, and and try to try to do it in a positive way. I mean, I've been on the boat with so many people over the years, and they put such a negative spin on on fishing. You know, as far as uh, just trying to kill everything. You know, and they don't really they're not really thinking about what they're doing in the moment. You know what I mean? Right. And that's 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 all I want people to do. I think is just think about what you're doing and try to. Do whatever you think's best. I mean, everybody. I think, generally speaking, most people are good people, and they'll do the right thing. They just take a step back, take it from somebody that's had a lot of experience, and just think about it. Yep. <laughs> Fish are tasty. It's okay to eat a few of them, but you don't need to kill every one of them just just for the pure sake of killing them and sticking them in the boat or or for an ego. Right. I right. mean, they're they're there to they're there to be had. They're 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 a food source. Yeah, they are. No, yeah, it's true. It is true. Well, Craig, we come up on an hour, man. That was quick. Yeah, it was. <laughs> that was awesome, man. I really, uh, I really appreciate you coming fishing. How many times have you been fishing with me over the years? Uh, Do you know, boy, I think a, you a, a do- a do- about a dozen or so somewhere in that in that ballpark. We probably, yeah. I mean, day uh, trips, so trips. Right? I mean, but every time you come, you book yeah, three days. Yeah, three, three, so. three, probably twenty-five to thirty times we've been on the water. I'm yeah, guessing it's a lot by now, man. It's 
really cool, man. And I hope, you know, I hope we can continue to fish. And I hope Mitchell keeps coming down here over the years. I'd love to take him fishing. Yep. And, uh, yeah, hopefully I'll see you back down here in September, man. <laughs> well, we'll shoot for it. We'll see what happens. I hope so, man. God willing and the creek don't rise, we'll make her down here. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks, Craig. Thanks, everybody, uh, for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. All right, come fishing with Paulie when you can. He's fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please give us a follow on Facebook or Instagram at Tunatown Talks. Also, if you'd like to book a charter with me, you can do so by visiting our website at mgfishing.com. That's Mexican Gulf website, where you'll find my online booking calendar with all my open dates. And remember, guys, always be safe while out on the water. Man.